Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And just like that, it's chapter two. Welcome to the dubious book of famous deeds. My name is Paul Bates. I am your host as we read through this unreliable narrative from 1889 titled The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. Unreliable, but I am here to fact check. As always, though, if uh, if I've missed anything, or if I'm just flat out wrong, please send me an email to famousdeeds at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Better yet, leave a review. You could, you could tell the world how wrong I am. Okay, so, uh, today it's a wild story. It's violent, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting, and it's all, it all takes place uh, against the backdrop of the Russian-Circassian War. A war which lasted 101 years. That's the longest war that Russia has ever been engaged in in its entire history. And, and they've fought a lot of wars. And one of the principal figures in this war is the subject of today's chapter. He is a folk hero in his ancestral lands even today. He was the military, political, and spiritual leader of the Caucasian people. I don't mean white people, I mean the people of the Caucasus. We'll explain where that is. The Lion of Dagestan, Shamil. And I am joined by none other than one of the stars and creators of Baroness Von Sketch Show and uh, an old friend, one of my oldest friends, actually, we met at York University. Please welcome Aurora Brown. Oh, Bates. Hi. I'm so (laughs) excited to be here. I'm so excited to finally, you know, I feel like Baroness has really skewed my vision and I'm glad to finally give room to men of the 18th century. It's, or the 19th yeah. century? Yeah. It's yeah. all about balance. And so, you know, after uh, five seasons of five seasons of Baroness, you have to make yeah. some room for mm-hmm. old white men. I'm so excited to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm going to read you a chapter. Mm-hmm. I haven't told you what it is. Nope. I have told you that it's jack full of action. Are you ready to jump in? I'm with both feet. Okay. All right. Here we go. It's chapter two, Shamil, the Circassian chief. The mountain chief, whose exploits for so many years won the admiration of Europe, Shamil, the warrior prophet of the Caucasus, was born towards the end of the last century at a town called Himri, situated in one of the wildest parts of Circassia. Aurora, any questions so far? Many. First of all, how do we spell this guy's name? Okay. Classically in this book, spelt S-C-H-A-M-Y-L. If you look him up today, it's S-H-A-M-I-L. Okay. And the Caucasus, so that was puts us somewhere in Eastern Europe, right? 
Yeah, the Caucasus is almost where Europe meets the Middle East, meets Asia. It's, yes. it's down where Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia are. But of course, the namesake of the entire white race, I believe, this area. Yeah. The yeah. I, I was curious as to why that is. Do you want to know? Yes. We can thank German scientist Johann Frederick Blumenbach for this. <laughs> That's the most German name I've ever heard. Who in uh, 1795 divided the human species, they didn't ask him to, divided the human species into five races. And Caucasian mm -hmm. was the name he picked for white people. And the reason for that was he believed that white people originated in the Caucasus. Okay, interesting. There's that whole period where Europe thought it was being like super, and they were being, you know, scientific in some ways, but at the same time, just basically using it as a platform for the racism. Even evolution was used as a as a as an excuse for that. The other context to to deliver into this here, this is the height of the Russian Circassian War, um, which lasted from 1763 to 1864. Holy shit. Yeah. People, people, man, people, they right? just love fighting. It started with, you know, Russians encroaching into the Circassian territory. Um, the Circassians were just a group of isolated sects and tribes. Around in the early 1800s, a group of these tribes were united uh, under an Islamic imamate. Shamil became the most prominent leader of that group of fighters. We're going to get back in now because we've only right. just begun. Okay. okay. He was early educated in the two chief departments of Oriental knowledge. We've reached our first problematic word of the chapter. Amazing. Amazing. Because they divided the world into Occidental and Oriental. We only hear Oriental because, of course, it's the other. But um, yeah. So religion and arms. Those are the two chief departments of Oriental knowledge. And many traits of truly Spartan courage are related to him. On one occasion, while a mere child, he was attacked and wounded by some comrades. But although his life was endangered, he continued to conceal what had happened because he would not consent to admit that he had been vanquished even by numbers. Wow. Even as a kid, he's no snitch because he doesn't want anybody to know that they pushed him over. Now, I was like, how if no, he didn't tell anybody, how is this in the book? Well, good he, point. This story is corroborated. He apparently told his teacher that his teacher found out. The children, <laughs> I mean, this is, <laughs> these are a hard people. The, the children, so uh, apparently they were either jealous of him or he was shit talking them after uh, games, after like whatever <laughs> games they were playing. Goddamn and video uh, games, man. Video yeah. games. Horse, horse games. Um, <laughs> the kids in their horse games. God. <laughs> the kids were mad at Shamil and they waited for him, you know, for when he was alone. And not only they beat him up, they stabbed him. They like, they meant, I don't know if they meant to kill him, but uh, a good beating up was like a harsh, harsh thing, including blood. And Shamil went into the woods. He didn't go home. He didn't tell his parents. He tended to his own wounds. <gasps> Did he stitch himself up? Oh, that's so exciting when somebody stitches themselves up in the woods. I, like if your kid came home after maybe a couple days with like scars mending. Um, <laughs> Very and, like, pale from blood. Yeah. <laughs> delusional. Would you look at him and be like, courageous? Probably. If I yeah. was in this time and it'd be like, that's good. You're a man. Good. <laughs> you know, you did it well. His dad's like, oh, I'm 
did had how old when they're saying children how old are we talking here like seven or 14 mm, question i am gonna guess a tween this sounds like tween behavior yeah okay here we go. For a long time, Shamil occupied a comparatively subordinate position as one of the Marids, or bodyguards, of Hamsad Bey, the Imam. So this is called the Marid War. Marids were well-trained religious followers of the Imam. It was only after the assassination of that chief in one of the civil contests which weakened Circassia and favored the advance of Russia that the celebrated warrior made himself known. I know I'm pausing a lot, but there's so much. There's, there's so, so much. much. The assassination of Hamsad Bey, the second imam in the Murid War, the first one we're skipping. Um, <laughs> it didn't really matter. Circassian culture was pretty complicated by blood feuds. This was part of their culture where if, mm -hmm. you, did this, if you did something to somebody, that somebody's going to do something back to you twice fold, but then you can do something back to them fourfold. It's uh, like in when you're playing crazy eights and somebody puts down a two and then you mm -hmm. put a two on top of that two and you got to go and then it like, especially if you go up and it's still there, but then you put down the queen of spades and you got to pick up 13 or whatever it is. A local con, all right, had sided with the Russians uh, mm -hmm. and was against the imam, was now under siege by Hamsad Bey. All right. This woman tried to negotiate, and this is a bit of a Game of Thrones move. She sent her two eldest sons as hostages. So it's like, here, this is wait, my wait, good wait. faith. The woman was a con? She was a con, yes. So there was wow. a matriarch in all of this. Okay. She's not actually mentioned in the book. Because, <laughs> I wonder because why. the book's called The Pictorial History yes. of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. She sent her two eldest sons over as hostages. Right away, Hamsad Bey had them put to death. Wow. Yeah. So Haji Marat and his brother Osman had a blood oath with the two brothers who got killed and vowed revenge. They joined into the Imam's murids and won his confidence. This is like a long con. Uh, and one morning, they shot him dead in his mosque. And after that, a full Tarantino movie breaks out. Um, <laughs> the, the, the one brother, Haji's brother, gets killed right away. Haji runs out in the streets and yells, death to the Marids! And, um, <laughs> and the whole mosque is stormed by townspeople. Everyone's got a gun. All of the Murids got shot. One was captured and only one escaped. And that Murid was Shamil. Wow. Yeah. Now, okay, you explaining this all to me, I now know how my non-Game of Thrones friends felt during the years that it was on the air and I was trying to explain everything to them. And they were like, there's so many names. There's mm. so many names. There's so many names, yeah. And of course, again, we only have... I keep wanting to call him Shamma. Shamil's um, version of this, mm -hmm. of course, to go on. It's difficult because Circassian culture didn't have a written language until after this book was published. I'm always I'm really amazed by those people who can, it's like, you know, little kids, like I'm sure your son is the same as mine, who can remember long, long passages from movies. And mm -hmm. he's, he's the one correcting us. And I remember when I was a little kid, you know, having that ability to remember long Monty Python scenes and, and uh, memorize whole things that I was listening to. And uh, I have to say, I wish that was more part of our world. I know why it isn't. But I'm always very impressed whenever there's a culture who, that basically just has an oral history because they have to remember every little fucking thing. There's, there's no question that this story got told 
over and over and over again and mm-hmm. got a little better every time. And now oh, it's a yeah. fucking awesome story. <laughs> okay. So keep going. Short short version is Hamsad Bey got assassinated in a spectacular fashion. Shamil alone escaped, eventually came back and replaced Hamsad Bey as the imam of the whole region. The means by which he obtained his popularity are not well known. But it appears certain that Shamil, though stained by many grievous faults, possessed noble qualities and was eminently fitted to rule over a barbarous people. That's our second problematic word. <laughs> barbarous. I know exactly why that's. I, I used to know, you know, barbarian the kind of stuff. But after, after traveling to Morocco last year, I learned about the Berber people and how that that word became uh, synonymous with you know, the concept of, you know, lesser and uncultured and um, violent and uncouth and all that kind of stuff. And it's, again, racism and Eurocentrism. Mm-hmm. I love how he's stained with many uh, faults. Is that how we put it? But good enough for this group of people who clearly were ready to kill each other. <laughs> it's nice that these barbarians had one almost European guy. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it prompted me to look up what I could about Circassian culture. And... Uh, they apparently very they valued hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, they placed a lot of value on respecting one's elders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a, allegedly a, sh- a very chivalrous uh, bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there are the blood feuds. So, yeah, uh, we yeah. don't talk about those. Yeah, much, we don't talk but, about uh, those. They, they come up sometimes. Right, okay. Keep going. Keep going. His personal appearance is thus described. He is of middle height with gray eyes and red hair. His complexion is white and as delicate as that of the Circassian beauties who are sometimes exposed for sale in the private bazaars of Constantinople. What? Okay. Let's pause. <laughs> so he's a ginger. He's, he's a, a ginger. ginger. He's a ginger. He's the whitest. He's the fairest of all the men. The f- and, uh, uh, okay, so Circassian beauties is uh, was in fact a very popular term because women of Circassia had had become a stereotype as being the height of beauty. Well, I will say Eastern European women, when you see them, they're just like, oh, these like, you know, women just hanging out in the village and they look stunning. They look mm-hmm. like models. So maybe that's just kind of that's always been there. But, you know, it's funny. I, li- I read Asterix comics when I was growing up and you know, there's a lot of detail in there that, that's, you know, besides the main story. And they did always have slave, you know, they would go down to the slave um, markets, you know, if they were, if they, if the story was down in Rome with Julius Caesar. And uh, there were like women from everywhere. And I just kind of thought that was like a cartoon idea. But I guess, I guess that, of course, really happened. Like, let's go down to the rape store yeah. and get who we're raping today. Who shall I make my wife today? <laughs> Um, Yes. So, yeah. Perhaps the contrast of his feminine appearance with his extraordinary courage and impassibility in the presence of danger may have strongly contributed to excite admiration among his rude and swarthy countrymen. So they were hot for him and they were just like, I don't know what it is about him, but I just kind of want to do what he says. All reports speak to him as gentle, even when ordering acts of greatest cruelty. Because it's not what you do. That's how you say it. it. Could you just just cut all of their dicks off? Just do that. Okay, thank you. you. Hey, if it wouldn't be a bother, could you execute those (laughs) children? Just 
later when you can at your convenience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put the spikes up. You just put them on. You don't have to do too much. Just like you know, yeah. Okay. The first residence of Shamil after he was raised to supreme rank was Akulgo, where he built in the center of the fortress a little house in the European style with the assistance of Russian prisoners and deserters. That's nice of those Russian prisoners to assist him. Yeah. yeah. There he lived in the humblest possible style, depending even for daily bread on the spontaneous offerings of his people. The fortress is built of the rudest rocks, and in 1839 was surrounded by defenses of earth with passages, covered ways, and moats according to the best rules of science. So here's a little, just a quick description of the physical terrain in Circassia. So the Caucasus is divided into the forests where Chechnya is and the mountains of Dagestan. And they're in Dagestan right now. And this place is hard country. There's all, all the mountains go as high as 4,000 meters, but then there are also canyons a thousand meters deep with rivers cut into them. And these little towns or owls, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, were like just built on crags on mountaintops and sides of mountains. They're easy to defend because they're just like unreachable. And uh, this is where all these tribes lived. Can I confess something? Yeah. I've lit I, I thought I was educated, but I've literally never heard of Dagestan. Neither have I. I don't, well, there's a reason it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it's there, but you know, mm. I don't want, I don't want to spoil the end of this chapter. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Cassia okay. didn't win. Okay. Where was I? Ah, yes. The solid wooden towers useless against artillery had been removed so that when general grab Russian hard ass appeared mm. before it after having taken Arkani and forced the passage of the Koi Sioux, that's a river that runs in one of the canyons. He had right. once understood the necessity of a good old-fashioned regular siege. <laughs> I embellish Is that, that literally what he says? A good old-fashioned regular siege? <laughs> no, it just, a, just as a regular siege, but I was like, <laughs> all right, it's siege time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's the Siege of Akulgo. This is one of the legends of Shamel. Um, and it was an 80-day siege. The Russians uh, cut off all supplies to this, to this, huh. uh, this mountain fortress. The mountaineers by degrees found their communications cut off. They were completely surrounded and hunger and thirst began to tell upon them with more fatal effect than even the dreaded cannon of their enemies. It was on the 23rd of August, 1839, that the advanced ramparts having been taken, the Russian general ordered his men to storm the citadel. The Circassians now displayed almost supernatural courage. Even the women took part in the struggle. What? Sword and pistol in hand. Okay. What comes next is a quote from a Russian eyewitness not named. Okay. And honestly, listener discretion advised. Here we go. <laughs> Never, says a Russian eyewitness, have I beheld so horrible a spectacle. We swam in blood. We climbed over barricades of men. The death rattle was our martial music. I was clamoring at the head of my battalion, already decimated, up a steep ascent. The cannon had ceased to roar. The wind blew away the somber curtain of smoke. We suddenly beheld, on the platform overhanging an abyss, a number of Circassian women. They knew that victory had declared against them, but firmly resolved to perish rather than fall into the hands of the Russians. 
They rolled enormous blocks of stone from the summit of the precipice. A huge mass whirled past me and carried away several of my soldiers. I thought of the humanities. Of the humanities. Sorry. Humanities? The human. Oh, the humanities. It's um. The amenities. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Furies, <laughs> the Greek the, tragedy yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh yes, the amenities. Right. Yeah. I thought of this. Is, this is where my lack of a class, a really classical education, just shows through. I know. I had to look it up. Yeah. I have to look everything up. I don't know any of this. Okay. I thought of the humanities. In the heat of the conflict, they had thrown away their tunics. Oh, okay. And their hair streamed wildly over their bare shoulders. I saw a young woman sitting down quietly with her infant in her arms. Suddenly, as we approached, she arose, dashed her infant's head against a rock, and then leaped with it into the abyss below. The others followed one by one, and all were dashed to pieces. Jesus Christ. I know. That is intense. I mean, dark. It is very dark. I can only imagine that that landscape would give rise to intense people. When you have 5,000, you know, 4,000 meter mountains and then, you know, plunging down to these abysses, Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like an easy place to, to eke out life. You would have to you know, over the generations value people who were really tough and, mm-hmm. you know, said, fuck you to the elements. Um, I, it's this kind of thing that makes me roll my eyes at people who think that video games are, are making kids terrible. It's like, it's clearly in our DNA. Right. We, we don't see death nearly as much as even a child a hundred years ago would. You know, like your mom dying in childbirth, your grandparents dying, you're the baby dying. We have it so, so easy these days. Like flinging yourself yeah. into an abyss wasn't the best option for you. Yeah, this I didn't year. have to swing my child by his feet and go, whim! And I feel as if this is what Putin reads every night. You know, before he goes to sleep, he reads about people like Shamil and these intense struggles. And he just thinks, oh, those are the days. Yeah. It's like erotica for him, you know? Just like, <laughs> so. oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Like, oh, fuck oh. women just—they can't even keep their clothes on when they're fighting me. <laughs> okay. Huh. The great object of this sanguinary attack was to take Shamil, but the prophet was found neither among the dead nor among the wounded. A whisper went abroad that he was concealed in a cave, and every rock was searched without success. Towards midnight, some sentinels heard a noise. A man descended a precipice by means of a cord. When down, he examined the ground, gave a signal, and immediately came a second. And then a third, wrapped in a white cloak, such as Shamel was accustomed to wear. The Russians now disclosed themselves and took all three prisoners. But their joy threw them off their guard. And the real Shamel, for he in the white cloak was only a decoy, darted by, leaped into the Koisu, and swam across untouched by the shower of balls sent after him. I know they're just bullets, <laughs> but I can't not laugh yeah. at shower of balls. I know, I know exactly. They're musket things that they poured in and like done themselves, but yeah. <laughs> and I can even hear the noise like, boing, 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 like kind of bouncing after him. Balls would. Yes. Honestly, what a great impression of balls landing in water. That's that's gonna stay with me for the rest of my life. Honestly, you'll and, and it will with you too. 
Every once in a while, every few years, somebody's just gonna offhandedly, casually mention, Oh man, <laughs> that was a real shower of balls. And that sound by Aurora Brown's gonna pop into your head. A bling, bling. I can't even do it justice. Stick around to find out the fate of Shamel and can you guess what famous novel drew its inspiration from Shamel and his exploits? All this and more after this brief but necessary break. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back for part two of Shamil the Circassian Chief. Okay, a quick recap. 1763, Russia invades Circassian territory. 1797, Shamil is born. 1828, Eastern Circassia is united under the Caucasian Imamate in which Shamil establishes himself as one of the century's most legendary guerrilla commanders. 1834, the Imam, Hamsad Bey, is murdered by Haji Murad, and Shamil succeeds him on the virtue of still being alive. 1839, the Russians lay siege to Shamil's mountain stronghold of Akulgo, from which he narrowly escapes, and that is where we have left off. Let's jump back in with Aurora Brown and part two of Shamil. Having been driven out of Akulgo, Shamil removed his residence to a place called Dargi Wadeno, which sounds like a planet from the Mandalorian. It really does. Situated in the midst of dense forests and frightful precipices. So he's moved to the region of Chechnya now. Yeah. It is from this place that he has since, with various success, directed the operations of the war, taking care not necessarily to expose his person or to diminish the prestige of his name by too frequent appearances. Because you don't want to saturate yourself. Exactly. You start showing up everywhere and you become, you know, Rudy Giuliani at the uh, landscaping place, right? <laughs> That's right. The Russian general Woronzov, by far the most formidable enemy ever sent against Circassia, cut roads through the country and instead of making periodical attacks on a grand scale, endeavored to weary out the mountaineers by constantly marching to and fro in every direction. It's a good strategy. Like stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah, it won't, wear, it won't wear out your own guys either, will it? Yeah, yeah. Many tribes were entirely surrounded and compelled to submit. Oh, here we're getting into a huge story now. Okay. And at length... The Chechens, this is how they describe the Chechens, but they say Chechens, found themselves unable to maintain their independence. They resolved, therefore, to send ambassadors to the stern Shamil, asking him either to come and assist them, which they knew he could not, or to allow them to submit to Russia. So in this area, like, there's not a unified, like, base. There's all yeah. these isolated places by, you know, by nature of the geography. And so Russians would take over a place 
the, that tribe would be like, well, we're Russian now. And then, and then the Circassians would come back and take it back and they'd be stuck in the middle. Sometimes mm -hmm. people would side with whoever was strategically the best choice at the time. So it was a very fluid situation, some of these. And so this small group of Chechens um, were, you know, taken upon by the Russians and they were like, it makes more sense for us to just surrender. Yeah, we we'd to... like to live through this. We'd like yeah. to just kind of get on with our lives and not be constantly killed. How close is this to Afghanistan? How close is che Chechnya to Afghanistan? Afghanistan is next to Iran and Iran is below Circassia. Circassia right. is between the Black and Caspian Seas. So it's in that right. part of southern Russia, just north of Turkey, that little that little, you know, strait of land that connects the Middle East to Russia. Yeah, and there's Armenia as well, I see. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay, so so they wanted to ask Shamil permission to surrender. No one, however, would venture voluntarily to carry such a message, and four men were chosen by lot. They set out for Dargi and determined, by means of gold, to buy the intercession of the mother of Shamil, that he should at least hear what they had to say and accept or refuse. So like, we can't, let's ask his mom to ask Shamil. <laughs> Hang on a second. So yes. he's he's the only survivor of that one terrible uh, incident in his village, but his mom also lived. I don't know where she was in that. That doesn't say. Good. Okay. All yeah, right. got to look that up. The mother of Shamil. Okay. They easily succeeded in inducing the poor old woman to speak to her son. What a rube! <laughs> <laughs> like what? Come on, man! Like this whole this whole thing with the Circassians, like respecting their elders and everything and what Shamel's mom is like living by herself in a hut somewhere. Yeah. What, what? Poor and uncared for. I'm not sure. I don't know if I don't know if I buy it, but I, I don't know if I trust this guy. Yeah. Okay. The, the story continues. What passed at the interview was kept a secret, but horrible and sanguinary results were feared for the Ooh. prophet immediately afterwards retired to the mosque to fast and to pray. He remained there until late next morning and then appearing amidst a general assembly, which he had ordered to be called together, announced with many circumlocutions that the Chechens had formed the infamous project of submitting to the Jowers, which is like a bad slang term for the invaders, mm -hmm. that they had sent messengers to plead their excuse that these messengers had suborned a woman to make him the disgraceful communication, that he had asked counsel of the prophet, and that the prophet had ordered him from Allah to give a hundred lashes with a whip to the woman who had been suborned. That woman, he added in a terrific voice, is my <laughs> mother! Of course he had to pray all night. He's like, ah, I'm supposed to respect her, but I really want to kill her. You know what? A good middle ground, 100 lashes. Mm -hmm. There was a thrill of expectant horror in the assembly, and the mother of Shamel, with a shriek, fell upon the ground. The stern chieftain continued, but what was my amazement that I heard this order? I wept bitter tears. Mohammed then obtained from Allah that I might substitute myself for the sinner. I am ready. Wait, wait, that's Shamel talking? Yeah, Shamel talking. I know so it's he's not gonna, an accurate accent. He's going to beat he's gonna himself take, instead of his mom. He's going to take the lashes because of his mom because he doesn't want to hurt his mom. Okay. That, sorry, it, his, his, his logic here is... Uh, okay, so he's like, this is how terrible this 
proposition is, and not only is it terrible in its own self, but you got a woman to convey it. So that's worse. Mm-hmm. And she should probably be put to death. But my, but God is telling me to punish her the way I would punish you. But instead of punishing her, I'm just going to punish myself and everybody's going to feel really shitty about it. That's the ultimate passive aggressive. It's a major, major guilt trip. It's just like, look what you did. And now look. because of what you did, <laughs> I have to whip myself a hundred no. times. <laughs> And I guess nobody's going to whip him for him because who's going to do that job? (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Okay. So saying, Shamil descended from his position and ordered two of his guards to perform the office of executioner upon him. They refused at first, but were compelled to obey. At the fifth blow, the blood started. But the people now rushed forward, snatched the whips from the hands of the men and insisted that so painful a scene should not continue. The Chechi ambassadors now expected that their time was come, but to their surprise and that of everyone, Shamil pardoned them and said, go back to your cowardly countrymen and tell them what you have seen. Oh, that is, that is masterful, masterful PR. Because now, like, if you're thinking about surrendering, you're like, oh, man, Shamil's mom might get it this time. Like, oh, I don't want <laughs> to do He even that. took it. He even took it. No, no, I can't do it. You know what? We're, we're shit. We're garbage people. We've got to die for this guy. Fuck the Russians. We're not surrendering. Did they, did they end up not surrendering? Doesn't say. Oh. Maybe they went back and like, nothing happened. Let's just surrender. <laughs> We're fine, we're uh, fine, yeah, we're fine. fine. We're good, we're good, we're good. <laughs> it would be impossible within any reasonable space to give an outline of the various operations which Shamil directed against the Russians. Indeed, accurate details are not known, and it is to be feared that tradition alone will hand them down to posterity, which is pretty much what happened, I think. By his influence, the people of Dagestan, previously divided into rival sects and tribes, were melted down into a mass almost homogenous, and he established many useful institutions. He partitioned the country into 20 provinces, each under its naib, 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 or governor. Each naib was obliged to raise 300 horsemen, one from every 10 families under his jurisdiction. Every man, however, from 15 to 50 was, properly speaking, a soldier ready to act on any great emergency. Shamil himself had a bodyguard of 1,000 men kept under rules of monastic severity. By their means, he restrained the insubordination of such amongst his people as occasionally grew impatient of his iron yoke. Hmm. The end. That's the end of the chapter. God, what a life. And that's just like three stories, basically, from this yeah. guy's life. Yeah. It's both disturbing and comforting to know that human beings have always, always, always been the same. We t- here today in the 21st century in North America don't have any kind of monopoly on xenophobia, on violence, on ignorance, on, uh, um, you know, wanting to overwhelm somebody because people have just done this over and over and over again in every corner of the globe. You know, we were watching Monkey Kingdom on Disney Plus. Um, Tina Fey narrates it. It's about this little band of monkeys who live in this certain area. And uh, even there, you know, primates that we're not that far away from 
they're terrible to each other. They're really classist. They are violent to each other. You know, monkey tribes come and we all know about chimpanzees going to war on each other and smashing their babies, you know, each other's babies against trees and then eating them and stuff like that. And it's, we're really only 1% of DNA away, I think from, from chimpanzees in particular. And I think wow. that you see this played out in exactly this kind of story. It is crazy. And also I got to say this admiration that kind of comes through here it's such a one-sided, you know, top-down, patriarchal, uh, flattering kind of story that I have to wonder how much is, I'm sure a lot is true, you know, like, I, I'm sure the the bones of it are all true, but it's it's the, like, he just did it, he just, you know, he just escaped and everybody just really loved him. It's like, did they? Was he a bit of an asshole? Was he a bit of a narcissist and a, and a me- megalomaniac? Sounds like it. You're touching on the problem I have with this chapter. He is celebrated as a hero and like romanticized. And it's just like, what an amazing story that's passed down from generation to generation. But what this book doesn't share is the end of his story. This book was written and published long after the end of the war. Uh-huh. It made me ask, is a hero only as good as the end of that hero's story? Because where it ends yeah. here, it's great. He's a huge hero. But the story that continues um, Did you is- Did you do some research? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found out how this ended. Okay, so there's another 10 or 15 years of war that Shamil kind of like presided over against the Russians. And the Russians are no heroes. Let's, you know, let's make sure hmm. we, we're, we're clear on that. Like, I guess good people on both sides is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Russians eventually wore him down. Shamil's support uh, eroded. Um, He lost the loyalty of the tribes. He was down to about 400 men at the time of his last uh, battle in 1859. But by the end of that battle, he was down to 50 men. And he ultimately surrendered to Russian forces. He was sent to St. Petersburg to meet the Tsar Alexander II, and then sent into exile in Kaluga. That small town near Moscow. Now, you'd have expected him to, you know, maybe die heroically, a martyr. Yeah. Or put in prison. He lived Throw in a- himself from a cliff, you know, yeah. dash his baby's brains out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Frantically search for an infant. Someone hand me a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, instead, he was uh, sent to Kaluga where he, uh, he lived in a mansion. He was treated with respect and reverence for his exploits. And he lived a pretty good life. Uh, we got toast in the morning. There was probably a housekeeper being as if that's on par with Ayn Rand railing against socialism, but then going on welfare at the end of her life. Mm, you know, right. Like, when we get old and life gets uncomfortable, we just want to stay in bed and be comfortable. You know, sooner or later, everybody retires. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he, he was kind of feted and, and, and he got to, like, you know, enjoy Russian culture. And he complained about the climate and got moved to Kiev, where he, like, moved into an even nicer house. Um, wow. And uh, in 1869, he was permitted to perform the Hajj and do a, 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 a pilgrimage to Mecca. And uh-huh. after completing his pilgrimage, he died in 1871 in Medina. And that was the end of, of Shamil's life. So it, it ended in relative peace and hmm. plush comfort. Meanwhile, uh, his people continued fighting for another few years. The very last battle happened in 1864. Not a single Circassian survived that battle. 
and oh. uh, that place uh, was named Krasnaya Polyana, the Red Meadow, for all the blood that was spilt on that ground. And that place uh, became the site of the Sochi Winter Olympics, Aurora. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, it's good. You know, everything old is new again. Now we don't battle with swords and rocks and throwing ourselves. We battle with luges. Yeah. Well, they they do like it's alleged, you know, this is uh, when you asked about like, oh, does Putin like, you know, does Putin fantasize about being Shamel? Maybe he does. Um, but he also doesn't recognize Shamel because the the Circassians uh, uh, are still upset to this day because of the. Uh, the other, the other, you know, the major. I hate to end this on a downer, but the major um, legacy of this conflict is that ninety percent of all Circassians were deported. They were just a, 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 uh, expelled from the country. That was Russia's huh. final solution, in a way. Um, Where they did they get exported to? Mostly the Ottoman Empire, but there's a there's a bit of a, a Circassian diaspora now, you know, out there in the Middle East mm-hmm. uh, and maybe Europe as well. Um, but you know like hundreds of thousands died on the voyage, right? There was like starvation, you know, shipwrecks. Only Georgia recognizes an official Circassian genocide, but that is what it's called. Russia doesn't officially recognize Shamal. And, you know, was it a statement that Russia, you know, made the Olympic village on a mass grave? Maybe, you know. All my all my my competitors will die. The they, the ghosts of the people I've already vanquished will will kill their spirit. Please head ask. into the roots store on the bones of my <laughs> ancestors' enemies. I gotta ask this and so many other. So often it comes up. It's like, what is the deal with Russia? What I is know. up with them? Why do they have to? torture and invade so many people over such a long span of time what is up with them is it that bad there are they just really unhappy i guess yeah i guess you can't fault them for wanting to move south but you know like i don't know i can't i can't square it in my head shamo like you know leading so many of his people to their death his own sister flinging herself off the cliffside while he escaped. And then he just kind of like retires, I guess. On one hand, it's like he's got a family still. He's still got some kids left. Um, he's got wives. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't you want to protect them. Uh, and on the other hand, it's just like it just feels like he just said, OK, I'm done. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm tired of this now, you know. Oh, 100, 100 percent. I mean, I mean, people can change. People, people can, change can change and see the error of their ways. Even the guy who is, uh, uh, what's the the church in America that that uh, always protests funerals, St. God's Hate oh, Bags, yeah. like that. He, you know, he founded that church, and then at the very end, they excommunicated him because he changed his mind, um, and uh, he said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing all this. And all the people that he'd indoctrinated his children, you know, the kids who'd grown up to be this were like, well, fuck you. You know, it's, it's quite possible when people get older, um, that they do soften. And I think actually I read about this, that men can be like really intense, harsh dads, but there's something, they go through their own little menopause or something like that, you know, where they just, they lose a little bit of their testosterone and they become kind of soft grandpas. And, you know, maybe he just went through a, a, a menopause of some kind and he had a bit of a transition. <laughs> I almost forgot to mention the reason I this made me think of you. 
when we talk about his legacy, not too much is written of him, but a 1960 biography was written by Leslie Blanche. It was called The Sabres of Paradise, Conquest and Vengeance in the Caucasus. And it was the inspiration for Frank Herbert's Dune. No. Amazing. You know what? That makes total sense. I didn't even think of that during all this, but you're right. And I knew about that because we'd watched an interview and I just didn't put that together. See, this makes total sense. You have this really harsh environment, Craig's. Um, there's something about that environment. When life is really, really tough, you have to get really tribal and protective. And one uh, young man is able to unite all the differing sects yes, against yes. the invader, right? Oh, you're right. You're and, right. And he was this, like, he was this paragon of physical mm-hmm. prowess. And his mother, his mother was involved in his life. Right, and he had, to go, he had to go, like, think and pray and think for a long time. What am I going to do about my mom? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I was wondering, I was like, oh, I wonder if any fiction writers have gone and read this and been inspired. And clearly they have. That's amazing. It's it's sad that a little bit of pop culture makes me more interested in something because I always think, why does Sebastian only like music if it's already been in a movie or something like that? You know, he if you if it's been in a cartoon, he'll listen to it. And sadly, I can feel that same thing because you've just told me this incredible life. But now knowing it's an inspiration for Dune, it's suddenly just shimmering in my mind that much more. Well, it's a weird intersection with the the time in which we live because that like that story is just coming back into the consciousness now because of uh, the movie that's been made. Um, Did I tell you we saw Jason Momoa on the street? I think you did. Uh, I don't know if he's still here in town, but he's been shooting something. And I think he's staying near us. And we uh, got coffee at the same place where he was getting a coffee. And we were both just so overwhelmed because, you know, I would, I remember when we were deciding like, what if Dune comes out in the theaters? Would we go see it? And I was like, yep. And I'm just so excited about it. I'm happy for him as an actor that he's got a part in such a great thing. I can see why he is. He certainly has that wild look that this kind of, uh, this kind of story makes you you think of. Is Jason Momoa gigantic he's very tall he's he is gigantic and he had an incredible van i i have a secret desire to live uh, get a camper van and live in it there's a whole van life kind of movement and i was i first we first twigged that something was going on i was like look at this van this looks like this is, you could live in this this you can off-road it's got california plates what um it had mud all over it and i think he just like driven up from california to be here and um uh, he matches his his vehicle. He drove his van up all the way yeah, up from California. Uh, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Welcome to the neighborhood, Jason Momoa. And uh, we've got the story for you. Yeah, about... Jason. Oh, man. Uh, that's who plays Shamel in a movie. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got a treatment. We got to send it out. All right. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have some more off-microphones talks about this. Yeah. Jason Momoa, call your agent. It is not every day that you receive a gift for free in show business. This is a gift to you from us. I want to thank Aurora Brown for joining me on this podcast. Find her at Aurora Brown on Twitter and Alola Brown on on Instagram. Uh, And of course, her show Baroness Von Sketch Show is streaming on CBC Gem, probably Netflix. It depends on where you live, but just search it. It's great. I'm in it, sometimes. I play the patriarchy. Next episode. I don't know if you can handle more excitement after this, but hang on to your butts, because we are going to learn 
everything there was to know back then about the longest tunnel in the world. Oh, yeah. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is produced and recorded in Toronto. It's part of the Sonar Network. Go to thesonarnetwork.com and check out the many funny and thoughtful podcasts offered there. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review. It goes a long way towards helping this show find its audience. You can subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast online at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to get in touch, whether to ask questions, correct my work, lodge a complaint, or just say hi, I want to hear from you. Shoot an email to FamousDeeds at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the work I put into researching and producing this podcast, why not buy me a coffee? You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. It's an easy way to support creators all over the internet. Until next time, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.